Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Trainee Talk. My name is Jason, and I'm the founder of TCLA. This has to be one of my favorite episodes so far. I had the pleasure of speaking to Azuma Kofi, who is a future trainee at Covington and Burling. Now I called this episode Embracing Your Identity because Azuma did exactly that. In this episode, he openly talks about how he overcame fears that his stammer didn't make him suited to commercial law. He also talks about how he made the decision to go by Azuma rather than Daniel during his vacation scheme, wanting to really leverage his African background as an asset. Not only that, but in this episode, Azuma explains how he bounced back after receiving 11 straight rejections, how he learned to be confident, and how he didn't take no for an answer, especially after being rejected for a Covington Open Day. If you're having some doubts about the process right now, or you feel that you don't fit the traditional mould of being a lawyer, I hope you find a lot of value in this episode. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Azuma Kofi, a future trainee at Covington and Burling. Azuma, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jason. It's taken us a little bit of time to, to schedule, but I'm really happy that we finally get to uh, start speaking. I thought we'd start if you could just tell me a bit more about your background. Okay, sure. Thanks. Hello, everyone. My name is Azuma. I am 27 years of age. And before I go on, I would just like to let everyone know that I do speak with a stammer. So if in the course of this talk, I do happen to repeat or block on some words, please bear with me. But yeah, so I'm Azuma. I was born in London, but I'm I'm actually from Ghana. So I left the UK when I was three, and then I moved back to Ghana where I did most of my schooling. And then when I was done with high school in 2011, I then moved to the US to pursue my first degree in a small school in the Midwest called Knox College. I majored in economics with minors in French and computer science. I then graduated in 2015. And it was then that I changed my mind to do law. Right. So I then took a year out to gain some work experience and then do some research about schools in the UK. And then I moved over in 2016 to do the two-year law degree at Queen Mary. Got done with that last year. And since I wasn't able to secure a training contract last year, I then took another year out to get some work experience and then apply again. And finally, I got a vaccine with Covington this summer. And Mm -hmm. thank God I was able to get that training contract. And (laughs) I'm now doing the LBC at at the University of Law. Wow, you've had such a, a varied journey there. Yeah, yeah. So maybe if we start digging into that. Mm-hmm. So you decided to first pursue a degree in economics. What? Yes. So at the time, were you not thinking about a career in commercial law or like what made you pursue economics? Yeah, so back then, a career in, com- in commercial law was not really on my radar. Mm-hmm. It was more background thoughts as, I, as I'd always found law interesting. But back in high school, I just always seemed to like economics and I was pretty good at it. So I thought, why not pursue it further in college? And when I was in college, there was the whole attraction of investment banking. And most of the rising college students seemed to find that field the most attractive. So I thought that by doing economics, that would put me in good stead to attain a, a job in that field. Mm-hmm. But but with but with hindsight, if I put my speech into context, I would say that economics felt like a relatively safe field because in my mind back then, it's 
it did not really involve a lot of talking as as opposed to law so i thought that oh by doing economics it will be fairly safe and i'll just be in an office and be working on excel and doing loads of accounting statements so the other reason why i chose to pursue economics was was that coming from an african home there was always that pressure to do a more a more professional job in fields like banking law or medicine so i just thought that banking seemed the most plausible field for me so yeah that was why i can also relate to the fact of having asian parents but you know encouraging you uh, to do yeah. a, a particular uh, field exactly. out of interest so when you mentioned economics as a safe subject was that because of your stammer were you yeah. like worried about pursuing a career that had a more like public speaking facing role and like, how did you deal with that? Yeah, so it was always at the back of my mind that, you know, since I stammer, I could not really do law. So I did have some cousins who were lawyers and I'd, and I'd always found the field pretty interesting. Whenever I would watch movies or shows with lawyers as actors, but since I stammered, it was always my my conviction back then that I could not really do law, hence my choice to pursue economics instead but then when i was done with my degree in 2015 i had a conversation with with my mother who came over to see me in the states and it was very random but then she just happened to tell me that oh she had had a chat with a pastor and he told her that i should be a lawyer right so out of nowhere like that just triggered back all like the previous thought that i had about wanting to do law but being afraid mm. and i just opened up to her about my fear of doing law because of my stomach. And right then, then she just dispelled all of my fears. And she then told me that I should never really look at my speech as an obstacle to you know doing law, which I felt back then was really what I wanted to do. So that, I would say, was the turning point for me. And that really put me on path to actually going to pursue a career in law. I think that's incredibly inspiring. It sounds like your mom had a, a huge impact on your... A very huge impact, Jason, very. And so you decided to pursue commercial law. Over time, did you have like recurring like doubts over you know whether it was going to work out for you? And like how did you manage those doubts? Those doubts, I'll say they did come up every now and then mm -hmm. because I would... I mean, because then I would always try and compare myself to other lawyers who seem more eloquent and they seem more smart and they just really seem to know how to put their point across and that to me was very challenging so that always brought doubts in my head but i just always try to cast my mind back to what to what my mom told me that i should never use my stomach as an excuse to not do more in the sense also really convinced me that i should find ways to try and manage my speech better and work on my stomach and improve myself so those thoughts initially really made me doubtful but they also made me more determined to really forge ahead and work on myself and eventually attain a tr training contract at a law firm and can i ask how did you go about working on the the stammer over time so that was through a whole lot of experience so i would say that for that for example i just firstly had to learn to embrace it because mainly i had to accept that it was really part of who i was but then I should not ever use it as an excuse to not trying to make a career in law. I then also sought to work on it. And this, 
I was able to do in the past year by doing two speech therapy courses. So these really helped helped me learn some some techniques in terms of how to better manage my speech. And actually, currently, I'm actually part of a Toastmasters club right. at my school. Yeah. So they meet every Monday. So I try to go as much as I can when I'm not too you know, bogged down with work from school. And that has also helped me get more exposure to public speaking. And it's really improved my speech over time. And lastly, I'll say what has really helped me has just to be more open about it. So initially in the past, I would be, I would always try and hide it. And I and always not want anyone to know that I do stammer. But now I'm very open about it. I, I actually try and tell anyone that I ever come across oh, that, you know, that I stammer, but it's no big deal. And this especially helped me during, during my vaccine. Because when I first got to the firm, I told my, I told all the lawyers, their trainees, the other guys on the vaccine that, oh, that I do stammer. So that immediately puts no pressure on me because I then felt as if I did not have to hide it and I did not really have to be fluent to impress anyone. So I think just really being open about it has really helped me a lot because it's really put, put off the pressure and that, and, and that over time has made me more fluent with my speech. Before I forget, so I actually also did Toastmasters during law school and ah. it sounds like it was great for you. And I think uh, if anyone's looking to develop their own public speaking, for those that don't know it, so you can either go up and do your own like prepared speeches or there's like, your own prepared speech, yeah, yeah, or there's the table topics, which used to be terrifying for me with, you know, oh, <laughs> have you done a, a table topic yet? I actually did one on my first meeting. The same. Yeah, that, that, that was that was terrifying but then like i just happened to wing it and i actually won the award for best table topics of the evening oh fantastic so that also encouraged me to actually know that oh like even though i stammer i can still manage to get my points across and still speak in spite of the 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 apparent flaws that i may have with my speech so yeah it's it's really helpful it's been so helpful for those that don't know what table topics are, so you put your names in, or at least for us, we put our names in a hat, yeah. and then at the end they'd call mm-hmm. people to, you just have to go up on the spot, and I think it was talk for, I can't remember how much time. It's for it's for about one minute or two minutes, yeah, something like that, yeah. I think it's great for like just embracing your fears. Exactly, exactly, it's so good for that. So the other point you mentioned about just being open about uh, the stammer on your vacation scheme, mm-hmm. at the time, would you say you were more embarrassed to talk about it or did you come to like own it as like a, an important part of who you are? I really came, came to own it. So I, I'll say before this year, I was very embarrassed about it. It would, it would always make me cringe or shy. Yeah. But this year in particular, mainly because of the courses I did on, on, on my speech and just from learning from other people who stammer and how they are confident in spite of their speech, I was really inspired by those people and I really, over time, got to own it. So I'll say I truly embraced it and I was, and I was able to tell anyone I spoke to at the firm about it. And this, I'll say, really helped them understand me more and it also placed me on an even more level playing field with other people on the VAC scheme because because initially I would have thought that being one who stammers, I would be at a at a disadvantage compared to other VAC schemers. So that I'll say helped 
even the playing field for me. I'm sure you get this a lot, but from my perspective, it's so inspiring that you're just open to talking about it and like you didn't let it stop you. You were, yeah, um, you know, willing to persevere anyway. And it clearly it shows that if anyone or other people are suffering from their own obstacles, whatever it may be, like you're a great example of someone who you had your doubts about the profession and whether like you were right for it, but you did it anyway. And clearly it's, uh, you know, it's worked out well for you. Thank you. Yeah, so far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to touch on is you mentioned the form you sent mm-hmm. us. So embracing your identity as an asset. And I know you said during your vacation scheme, you insisted on going by your middle name, Azuma, rather than your first name, Daniel. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to know a bit more about that. Like what led you to want to do that? And why was it important to you? Okay, so prior to the vaccine, uh, in the course of this year, I had done quite a number of paralegal jobs <laughs> and in those jobs i i was always called daniel just mainly because it was easy and more convenient but then but then knowing my background i've always been called azuma by friends and family and even by my teachers in school in ghana and you know being called azuma it's just it's just really the name that i relate to more so two months before the vaccine i just got this hunch that I should go by Azuma on the VAC scheme as opposed to being called Daniel. So I sent an email to you know, grad rec saying that, oh, even though I applied with Daniel for the VAC scheme, I would much prefer it if I was called Azuma. And, and they agreed to that move. And this actually proved to be a God sent move because on the second week of my VAC scheme, the, the, the partner whose office was, was opposite my my cubicle was actually called Daniel and <laughs> and when and what was even more creepy was that when it was time to so, so, sorry so when it was the last day of of the vaccine and it was time to you know, pack our desks to make way for the next batch of interns who were to start next week mm-hmm. I happened to notice that on the that on the side of the desk where our name tags were my name was replaced with an incoming intern who was also called Daniel Right. So this, I was saying, by going by Azuma, really helped me stand out and really helped set me apart from other vaccines and other lawyers at 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 the firm. So, yeah, I would say it proved to be a good move. Right. And out of interest, what was your reasoning at the time for wanting to go by Azuma? And I think you mentioned on your form wanting to like retain and speak with your accent. Exactly. What, what led to that? I'll say just by going by Azuma and being able to speak with with my accent, I'm more I'm more able to be myself, mm. and I'm and I'm really able to retain that authentic self because Daniel honestly is not really a name that I that that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. But then if one is able to if one calls 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 me that name, I'm more able to be myself and just feel free around them so so i'll say being able to go by azuma really helped me be myself at the firm and it's and it's also helped me forge my identity at the firm because immediately if one sees my name they would they would know that i'm i'm most likely not english and i'm from some other part of the world Mm. so i'll say that really helped my international background come to the fore and I, and that was my thinking behind going by azuma and trying to still speak with my 
accent. Candidates often from different backgrounds, quite often what they do is they feel coming into law, they need to be like, start acting like everyone else. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a great message that actually what will probably make you stand out, especially if you do come from a different background, is just to be that different person and then have your own strengths, which doesn't have to be the same as everyone else. Exactly, exactly. Like I I truly try to make it a point to really be myself because how I tend to view my you know background and my and my and my identity is that it's truly an an asset because each and every person is very different. Like each and every person is so unique and different from the from the very next person. So they did not really see the point in trying to be someone else when I was when I was already different enough and when I would be able to stand out and better able to make an impact by just being myself because no because that i think was more a strength to my application as opposed to just trying to conform and be like everyone else and i would also say that being able to attain my my authentic self during the vac scheme and you know seeing how everyone responded to that 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 truly convinced me that commenting was the was the firm for me because because I felt as if I was never judged for you know, being myself, and and I was really able to relate to everyone, and I was able to not hide anything about myself, but just stay true to who I really was. And you know, seeing how how everyone at the firm reacted and responded to that truly convinced me that I was at the right firm. So I'll say that is a good sign for any future trainees. You know, if you are really able to be yourself and not and not feel like you have to conform. And if you get good reactions from other lawyers, then I'll say that is a fairly good sign that you are at the right place to train at. Yeah, it can be quite hard when you see so many different law firms to know what the right firm is for you. Yeah. Um, I actually don't meet many people that are going mm-hmm. to Covington and, and Burling. So obviously there are perhaps a more mm-hmm. niche US firm. Out of interest, what made you go for, for that kind of firm did you apply there for a particular reason? Yeah, so in the previous application cycle, I actually set some criteria for the types of firms that I wanted to apply to. And I would say based on my criteria, I was mainly looking for firms who had an African practice and did some work on the continent, firms that had a small trainee intake, as well as thirdly, firms that had a strong project finance slash energy practices. So I would say Covington was really able to meet these three measures and also what really made the firm stand out was that they are one of the few firms that have a strong background in public policy. So I would say by being able to train at the firm, I would be best equipped to to combine elements of corporate law with public policy, which many firms don't do in London. So I see that was really what attracted me to apply to the firm. But 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 what is interesting as a side note was that I I actually applied to an open day for the firm and I did not get on the open day. Right. But I still I still applied again. Right. So it just goes to really show that there's no real set method or formula to getting a, a vaccine and eventually a training contract at a firm. So even if you get a no from a firm initially, you should still go ahead if you are convinced that 
you know, you can make an impact at the firm. And if you feel that that firm is the right one for you. So, you know, just so to fellow listeners, don't, 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 don't always take no for an answer. Don't always take that first no for an answer. I know so many people who've been rejected for like an open day and then they, they just rule out that firm completely. Yeah. Out of interest, what, like, so you got this rejection for the open day. Mm-hmm. What made you think it was okay just to reapply again? Like what made you think you had a chance with the firm after being rejected? It's so it's a mixture of reasons. So they were part of my you know, short list of firms to, to apply to. And prior to applying for the open day, I had actually come across the firm twice in two open days in the in the Queen in the Queen Mary open day last year and the previous one in 2017. So I would say from those two encounters, I had pretty good notes on the firm. So based on my rationale, I thought, oh, like I'd rather not waste those encounters and those notes that I made and just apply anyway, because there's no point in having all these notes and not applying. So I finally got around to just sending the application actually on the day of the deadline, which is not advisable for other candidates. But luckily, the firm doesn't have a rolling, a rolling you know, deadline. So that, that I'll say, helped me you know, get away with applying rights on the you know, deadline. But lo and you know, behold, I was able to get an interview for the vaccine. And by going into that interview, as I said earlier, I was, I was able to be myself and tell the interviewers about my stomach. And, you know, that, 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 that immediately put me at ease. And I guess I was able to impress them and get a spot on the vaccine. But I'll say, yeah, that mainly was the reason why I chose to apply, just not to waste those, those notes that I took from the law affairs and, and I and you know just to try again, knowing that it was a great firm that I could potentially see myself in. And the one thing I'd add to that as well is I think people get rejected from open days and think, oh, I must be a really bad candidate. But like open days are actually really competitive. Like so many people apply to them exactly because people think they're easy to get onto. And then yeah, like you said, it doesn't mean you're a bad candidate if you don't get on the open day at all. That's and clearly it. You're, you're a testament to that. Okay, so we've talked about the end point, which is, you know, the vacation scheme at Covington. But mm-hmm. before that, did you face rejection during your application journey? I actually faced a lot of rejection, loads. So in year one of the two-year law degree at Queen Mary, I'll say that I applied for about 11 firms. And I, and I only got one interview and I was able to convert that to a, to a VAC scheme. So I did that at another U.S. firm in the summer of 2017. But then I I was not able to convert that to a training contract offer because I would say back then I did I did not really go into that VAC scheme wanting the wanting the training contract enough. Mm-hmm. Back then I was still under the impression that 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 it was best to train at the firm that offered the highest you know, pay for trainees. So. This firm in particular, even though it was really good, it wasn't the highest paying firm. So I thought that, oh, just by doing this vaccine, I would be able to get good experience, which would help me apply later on for firms that paid higher wages to their trainees. But then um, moving to the UK to do law from, from the US, it was very challenging. So 
actually my grades for my first year of law were not strong they were actually not a not of the two one minimum right so this actually made it hard for me to apply again in year two for either vaccines or training contracts so i then chose to rather just focus on school and just raise my grades to at least a two one and then i would apply for training contracts in the summer when my grades were you know confirmed so this was the next course of action that i choose that i chose to do in the second application cycle so that was last summer when i chose to apply directly for training contracts i applied to i think i think again 11 firms i got no interviews and 11 straight rejections wow so this was very hard to take because i'd kind of put all my eggs in one basket hoping that i would be able to secure a training contract that summer so 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 since so since that plan obviously did not work out i then had to take the year out after queen mary to just gain some work experience and just work on myself and if i look back i'll say that was almost a blessing you know having having those rejections from the firms because that that really gave me the year to to truly gain soft skills gain more work experience and especially work on my stammer because as you know that i got a training contract last summer i i may not i may not have really had the time to 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 do that self self reflection needed to pinpoint my weak my weaknesses and know where i had to improve so you know, having faced all those notes from those firms from those firms i really had to go back to the drawing board and really look at myself and try and learn where exactly i i i had to improve so just having that year out and just being able to truly self evaluate i'll say was a blessing in disguise and that really afforded me the time to really work on myself and truly hone my skills and i would say that paid off in the long run so really what i'm trying to say from all of this is that timing is everything so even though you are rejected it's 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 it should like once you try and take it with a pinch of salt because maybe that may not necessarily be your time to get a training contract or a VAC scheme and that may just be a cue for you to go back and improve on yourself and gain a certain soft skill which would stand you in a much better stead to gaining that offer or gaining those offers from the firm in the next application cycle so time is truly everything and 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 I'll say that 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 really came to the fore with my experience in the past year. Eleven straight rejections. That is not easy to to bounce back from. It's not. It's not. So you said you took a year out to self reflect. You, you did work experience. You worked on the speech impediment. What else do you think you did differently that led to um, you know the Covington scheme and like just your successes to turn around? I mean, what I'll say I did definitely was that I really firstly tried to make it appear to try and interact with as many firms as possible mm-hmm. because I thought that by having personal interactions with firms, I, w- I would be able to use those insights on uh, on application forms just to help me stand out more. Right. So I tried to attend as many open days, inside days, and law fairs as, as, as possible. I tried to speak with as many lawyers at these firms and then use these insights on the application forms by 
by matching my skills and my background to the insights and the candidates' uh, requirements cur- currently present at those firms. So, uh, so I'll say I firstly try to really go out of my way and meet as many firms as possible. And this kind of links to my next point in which I really try to make it a point to make sure that my applications were as tailor-made as possible because it's so it's so easy to like you know just be vague and just use the same old reasons but i try to really take my time and differentiate each application from based on each firm's distinct uh, strengths and background so i'll say those were mainly the 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 two things that that helped me and obviously gaining more work experience in this year also also helped me you know f- better flesh out my application forms and they also give me more points to speak about in interviews with firms and that point on tailoring the application to a firm i assume you so you'd met the firm you're putting that stuff on the application form how did you go about trying to work out what makes a firm different or like its strengths are because i know candidates can find that quite difficult to work out so i'll say what i what what i used to do was that i would go to these events with a set of questions based on my interests so like i said previously like i would ask questions about their african involvement ask questions about their their trainee intake and the level of responsibility that trainees got at the firms and then i would also ask questions about their energy their energy practices and lastly i would try and gauge their culture by just asking questions about how how life at the firm was but then if if I look back, that that last question asking about the culture is not the most helpful because everyone would always say that life at the FM is ideal and it's great and everyone is nice and all that good stuff. But I'll say what what I tried to use to ascertain about the FM's culture was just by being there and just really and just really trying to gauge the vibe and seeing how friendly people were and how they related to us guess who came to see their firm and their firm and who wanted to know more about their more about life at their firm so initially i would ask a lot about their culture but i but but i reached but i reached a stage where i just chose to rather sit back and observe people who were currently working at the firm and see whether they were the type of people that i could picture myself training with and working with in the long term so we've talked about a few ways that you would you've been different already going through the process and hopefully that will help people or inspire people that come from a similar background the other thing which we haven't talked about is the fact that you're also an older individual so you said you got your training contract at 27 yeah was that something that was worrying to you or do you feel that gave you actually like an advantage i'll say that that initially was worrying because I did have about one or two friends from high school back in Ghana who currently are doing law and who are actually associates right now. Back then, if I look back, I was like, wow, like I should be at that level, but I'm now starting it and I'm so far behind compared to my mates from school. So that, that, that initially was worrying, but then I then tried to place things in perspective and, and try to calm myself down by knowing that my that my path was very different from my mate's path and that my timeline wouldn't be the same as his and that's really the end really justifies the means so it's not really about when you get it back 
it's really about getting it eventually and not the time or when you get it because being in school and being around other students who are also applying for for vax games and training contracts there's so much pressure to really get it then and then especially if one is to go on linkedin and and one is to see posts from other students saying that they've gotten this offer from this firm and that firm it's very it's very hard to stay calm and stay composed and just focus on your path and just stay in your lane so that i'll say initially was worrying and coming over from the us to the uk to come and do law after a first degree i'll say it was also very insightful and and humbling Mm-hmm. Because it was very eye-opening to see how how driven, mature, and proactive the, these younger candidates were. Because if I look back to my time in the U.S., when I was of a similar age, I actually had no idea of what exactly I wanted to do as a career. Right. But coming to the U.K. and seeing as law is a first degree, people more often than not, they know exactly what they want to do. They know if they want to be a barrister or if they want to work in a law firm. So it, so it was just really inspiring and humbling seeing how driven these people were. And just by observing younger students, it's also really exposed the gap in soft skills that I had to make up for. Mm-hmm. Because when I first moved over to the UK, I, like, I, I, I noticed that I wasn't as confident as other students and I wasn't as eloquent and articulate as others and i also didn't really have that deep commercial awareness that others may have had by being in the uk and by being exposed to the kind of news items that that law firms tend to be interested in but on the flip side i'll say being an older student really helped me have more examples to use on on applications because i could because I could use loads of examples from my time in the U.S. as well as experiences that I, that I went on to gain in the U.K. And this helped me a lot in interviews. And I would also add on that by being older, it meant that I had, over time, developed that tough skin, needed to handle all the rejections that would come my way because I had already faced similar rejections in the U.S. previously. So I was, I was able to come in with that tough skin, which helped me persevere in spite of the rejections that I got from law firms. There's so much I want to ask you about that. <laughs> I, I try to be selective. Uh, yeah. I think just what what it seems to be, it keeps coming back to is this idea that you you made the decision just to embrace your again your identity or like your past experiences. You just made that become your unique selling point, whatever it was. Yeah. So that the international background, being older. Uh, I think that's great. The one thing I did want to ask you about is the confidence point, because I know going through the process, especially when I first started, you go to open days mm-hmm. and people seem like, especially if it's a big UK or US law firm, everyone seems to know what they're doing. They know their, like how to pitch themselves. Do you think there's anything you did in particular to improve your confidence? Or what advice do you have for people that don't feel that confident at the moment? I'll say what some of the things that helped me improve my 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 confidence is just by being intentional and in trying to be more confident. Like one has to intentionally make up their mind that they want to be more confident. And I and I say this by going back to the times when I would often try and watch 
YouTube videos on being confident or I'll try to read books on confidence or just by observing people that I thought were very confident. So I'll say first and foremost, one should really make up their mind that they want to be confident and learn to be confident. And by learning some 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 pointers or some notes on confidence, I'll say it's very it's very important to try and to try and apply that as much as possible. So in the context of university, if one wanted to gain more confidence, they 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 could, for example, try and take advantage of loads of opportunities in societies in terms of leadership positions or or even as little as being able to speak more in class. So I'll say this in this was a real struggle for me because because obviously being one who stammers, it was always hard. You know, it was always hard you know, for me to actually raise up my hand in seminars and to contribute to to what was being this you know cast in the class. So I'll say like one like one should try and take advantage of as many opportunities as possible to always speak often and just do stuff because I'll say by even just being able to talk as much as possible that in the long run can improve one's confidence. So I'll say those are some of the two small things just by learning about it as much as possible and trying to apply it in the context of being in uni or even being at a workplace or wherever one finds themselves in. I think what you've highlighted there is like the fact that just confidence is a skill that you like you can get better at over time. Kind of like exposure therapy, like you keep exactly. uh, you know putting yourself in like harder and harder situations and then suddenly you, you know you'll wake up and you'll find yourself going to an open day you don't feel as nervous you can communicate well at the start it can feel like such a long way away but it's something you can just build yourself up to that's it also it's one final thing before we ended well actually two things uh, i'll give you the option to talk about whichever you prefer so what one of them I was going to ask, which is how you developed your commercial awareness. The other one I was going to ask is what advice you had for interviews, just presenting yourself well at interview, whichever you prefer to talk about. I could quickly touch base on how I developed my commercial awareness because I would say like this is pretty much knowledge that a lot of people have already, but by going by the usual channels, um, I tried to I tried to read the BBC business websites as much as possible, just mainly because I thought it was a more accessible and 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 easier platform for me to understand what what was going on in the business world. So I'll say I really used to read the BBC business news, and I used to listen to the FT Daily pod podcast. Oh, I love that. Those, yeah, yeah, those those really helped me, especially during the VAC scheme because. Before I got in the office, I would always listen to them on my commute to work. So I'll say mainly from podcasts and the BBC business website, I was able to, over time, develop that that commercial awareness. And now on the second question, I'll say the best advice I could give for performing at interviews are, so, so aside the usual practice and going through questions, I'll say confidence is really key. And it's also important to to place a to place an and to place an interview in context by just knowing that it's only a formal conversation and nothing more than that. Now, p- 
personally speaking, I've 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 always sought to do interviews on on my own terms. And I say this because I really like to operate and talk with people who are pleasant and friendly as as I also try to be. So I so I know that if I can go in into an interview confident and I know that if I can go in there and immediately start smiling and start laughing with whoever is interviewing with me, I know that it will then go well. So I always try and, you know, have a more lighthearted approach to it. Even though I know, we, even though I know that we would talk about very serious content, I try and have a lighthearted approach to it, and I just try and feel free and smile and laugh as possible. And that, and that, and that, I think best, and that I think has best helped me in the past relate to the interviewer or the or the or the interviewers. So I say, yeah, like confidence and just being able to put things in perspective and 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 not being too serious about it, like not being too serious or stiff, because mainly because if I even go back to the experience on the vac scheme, there were honestly other vac schemers who were who I'll say were smarter than me, like they had more knowledge than me, like they re- they really knew their stuff. But when it was time for the interview, like based on their feedback, when I asked them that, oh, like how was the interview? They, like some of these smart vaccines would then tell me that, oh, like like it like it was very formal, or it was very stiff, or they asked me these questions, and it was like an and it was almost like an interrogation. But then for my interview, like I actually found it like very very interesting, very casual, very chill because I was able to go in there and just feel free and just smile and laugh and. And, and just be myself but at the same time i always endeavor to answer the questions to the best of my ability so i'll say that 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 is a very subtle approach that one could have just to that just 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 lessen that pressure that that they may have from from going into interviews we don't always hear that but yeah like it's such an important part that you can be the perfect candidate knowledge wise but if you don't click with the interviewer you probably won't get it whereas if you're not as great typically like if you click with the interviewer exactly so someone talks about this recently which is that interviewers won't necessarily remember what you said but they'll remember how you made them feel and that's it's the way of connecting with the interviewer and it sounds like that's exactly what you did you approached it in a way that like you bonded with the interviewer you were open about you know stuff at the start and that led you to come away with you probably came away from that like a thinking it went fairly well or fairly positive did you that's that's how i felt yeah that's exactly how i felt yep and finally what was your reaction when you found out about the covington training contract so that actually was i'll say i got the call i think three days before my birthday and i was actually on the way to to the barber so i was on the bus (laughs) upstairs yeah and then i was i think i was listening to a podcast and then i just saw this unknown number call me so i was wondering that so i was wondering oh like where is this call from because 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 i actually did did not expect to hear hear back from coventon in that week because i thought i would have gotten the news like the week after or two weeks after so then i got a call and it was my supervisor from my second week who also happened to be the 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 training principal so mm-hmm. we just had a brief chat and, you know, she was just trying to catch up and things were all, you know, friendly and all. And then she happened to tell me that, oh, they, that she and the other lawyers had just had their conference wash up and that they thought that I was a very good candidate. So 
when so when she started to say those words then like my my, my like my heart was just beating because i really didn't know where it was going and then she just broke the good news and uh-huh. it was and it was a mixture of shock and this and disbelief and <laughs> and 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 happiness it was just a whole mixture of emotions and i was just so so like i was almost speechless so i just kept thanking her like i was thanking her so much and right right after the call i just called my mom in ghana who was very pivotal in me uh-huh. attaining and who was very like instrumental in me pursuing law and i told her and like both of us just cried over the phone so i was on the bus just crying and my uh-huh. mom was in ghana weeping it was, like, it was so emotional and i was like man like it was it was it was a great feeling so yeah that was how i got the news yeah oh, that's amazing like, everything you'd worked towards had finally paid off at that mm-hmm. moment finally finally that's amazing Dang. awesome well, i think that's that's a great positive place to end mm-hmm. um just before was there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to talk about or like any final bits of advice i'll say the very final bits was this very in, this very interesting point that i noticed i would like to say that every work experience matters like every work experience counts and i'll say this because in the past year alongside doing paralegal jobs i also did shifts at stadiums in london so i worked at craven cottage wembley and the london stadium where I mainly worked at the booths to serve drinks and food. Now this, now this experience to other, to some candidates may seem unglamorous or not that important, but I still put it on my, on my application. And what was interesting was that my supervisor, the, the training principal, before she met me on my second week, she went through my application and she noted this work experience of me, of me working at Craven Cottage serving food but where i was able to gain certain soft skills and she and she made a note of this and what was interesting was that she happens to be a fan of fulham who play at that stadium right so that immediately was so that immediately forced that connection and that bond because we were then able to talk about it and then it was just so amazing how she was able to really just note this small slight experience which to some may not be the most impressive, but which she thought was impressive because she goes there to watch games. Right. And that really helped the two of us bond over the VAC scheme and really forge that, that rapport in the one week that I sat under her. Wow. So I'll say, yes, every every little experience, even though you may think it's not important, you will never know who may read it and who may connect to it and who may then advance your application. So, so every experience matters. And it's really just about the soft skills you gain from it and not... And not the nature of of the work per se. Well, I love yeah. that story. Um, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. One of the benefits of this podcast is just you know getting to speak to such a diversity or range of, of people. I think you're especially unique for so many reasons, like your African background, international. You had this uh, stammer. I just want to thank you for coming on and being open about it because I think especially people that you know they don't often get to speak to people who have made it that have faced similar circumstances so I mean hopefully this is going to be inspiring to people to show that you know like you did you can actually do it Uh, so thank you very much for being on the podcast thanks for having me as well Jason thanks thanks so much as well I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast episode If you want an easy way to support the podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating or even a review. It goes a long way to helping others find the podcast, so your support is very much appreciated.